0: back at it for another edition of the southern ontario dirt show podcast this is episode 77 i'm jonathan howe he is travis cunningham and uh travis episode 77 who you got for a driver of the 77
1: this week's guest and the first driver ever of the hills racing 77x ryan hunsinger and then i also got another old school one with randy hollingshead in the 77 old pro stock and mod lake
0: I'm going to give a shout out to, uh, you know, a young driver that we had on the show who's been representing pretty well in Ashton Van Every. 77 Crate Car. And there's
1: Tyler Palace, Alex L. Yeah. Popular one. It's definitely to be, a popular uh, one. Yeah. If you want to stand out, don't be 77. Take yeah. It. That's the
0: opposite of what you want to do um yeah. all right so we should probably launch into some of the racing action that's been going on in the past couple of weeks that we've been off we were going to record one last week i gotta take the l for that one because i forgot it was my fiance's birthday on the night that we record that's amazing. not that i forgot her birthday it's it. just kind of i forgot that we had talked about recording and it. just so it didn't work out but uh yeah we're back Good and thing. we're uh if we can actually talk about some sprint car guys going on the road including liam martin glenn styers Uh, Ryan Turner and Tyler Palace, who you just mentioned as well. Uh, They were all down racing at Volusia and Hendry. Some of them went to Hendry County as well, but we'll focus on the Volusia results. Three nights of 360 sprint car racing. Uh, What did you think of their runs down there, Travis?
1: Uh, Their runs, uh, there was like about in that race, I'd say there was like 40 cars most of the nights. And there was like seven or eight guys you'd call like true professionals. And they like kind of stood out over the rest like Peck and Hayford T and Dietrich and who else there's more oh McCarl and all them they just up a little bit but like our locals did good uh Leah made the show every night so that would be my goal if I went there just make the show and then uh Ryan missed the first night and then made it the next two and Glenn missed it and then had a mishap the second night and then made the final show Glenn made the opening night just because I think it was a super hammer down track something like people like Liam and Ryan wouldn't be that used to at Ash Weekend like we used to be in the early 2010 era, more like Glenn is. And he went sixth to fourth in his heat that night and got her in the show through the heat. And uh, yeah, him and Liam were in the show that night, had a good run. The track was fast. That was the night Haferteep won. Uh, he came from eighth that night. So, yeah, that was the mm-hmm. race. And then the second night, Carl won. And that was with Haferteep second. And it was a photo finish. Haferteep was running him down. And then the final night, Ryan Timms kicked their butts for the 10 grand. There's another, that's another one of the professional, Ryan Timms. Yeah. And last year, he won one of the provisionals. Provisional nights, or preliminary nights, sorry. And then this year, he won the final night for the 10 Gs. And uh, yeah, overall, pretty good show. Lots of Hurt Motors. There was a lot of smoke. Because it's that good Florida air. There was a lot of motors yeah. up in smoke. I'd say at least six or seven over the three nights I watched every night a uh, couple rough wrecks. Like uh Bubba the Low Sponge Kid, Tyler Clem, he got a rough one. Frame folded over him just on the start. Him he yeah, I think he got over Ryan's right rear. And yeah, there's a couple I didn't see Glenn's wreck. I don't think it was much his front axle. And yeah. A couple scary wrecks, a couple blown motors and some good racing.
0: Yeah. And uh you know, uh I wanted to give a shout out to all of them that uh went down there and, and, and tried to do uh uh try to try to mix things up and, and get out there and get a head start on racing season. Like you say, it's a very different style of racing compared to what we're used to at Osh weekend for most of these guys, you know, hammer down racetrack. We don't get that a ton up at Osh weekend, but uh, every once in a while, and if we do get one track like that, you know that they're going to have a little extra something in the notebook uh, because of it should point out that uh, Turner, Ryan Turner was pretty quick on the third last night, at least early in the night, uh, ended up starting second in the feature. After finishing second in the heat, uh, he was in as well and uh, was on pole for that heat as well. So, uh, showed some speed and improvements all uh, all the time all the time that they were down there. Liam Martin finished fifteenth, thirteenth, fifteenth. Uh, Stires, like you said, missed out on the second night, but he was eighteenth and seventeenth. Um, Turner missed out on the first night, like you said, uh, and he ended up with a seventeenth and a thirteenth. Uh, if I'm seeing this correctly, thirteenth position in the uh, final night in Tyler Palace out there. Didn't quite make any of the features, but uh, still got to mix it up with those guys down there. And just makes me hungry for some 360 action here. We still got a couple months to wait and uh, don't have the Osh weekend schedule yet, but we do have the Merrittville Speedway schedule that dropped in the past uh, week or so, Travis. And uh, some pretty important dates, some standard dates on the schedule that return, but. Um, Maybe one of the coolest and and, and craziest nights to be at is going to be the Ivan Little Memorial, which is going to be happening on June first. Of course, sixty-one for uh six-one on the calendar, sixty-one for I- Ivan Little, and uh, sixty-one thousand dollars in prize money up for grabs, including sixty-one hundred dollars to win in the mods. Um, fifth will get fifteen hundred, tenth a thousand, five hundred to start. Uh, three hundred to start sportsman event that pays four thousand to win. Hoosier stocks are paying two grand to win plus one hundred and fifty to start. So this is a really big payday, and now a, another one of these special nights that everybody's going to want to be uh, at the racetrack competing for, and uh, one of those nights that um, you know us fans and everybody that wants to go and take in this sport. This is a good one to be at.
1: Yeah, that's definitely one I'm going to be at for sure. Uh, I think it's just so cool that it worked out to be. June 1st, 6-1 for the 61 of Ivan Little's first memorial. He was there on opening night and uh, raced all the way up into the 80s. And uh, so, yeah, just a, a legend, one of the original goats of Merrittville, one of the first to go down to Syracuse and all that kind of stuff. He was there a lot and uh, traveled a lot. And, yeah, and this is the money's insane. Like, I've been talking it, just shooting the crap at work, saying how, like, if I had the space, I'd be putting a modified together just for the couple big money races this year and then try to sell it when you're done. Cause there's some definitely big money up on the line. Like even the heat races at that was like uh two hundred to win, one hundred and fifty for second, and like I think there's quick time. like the heat races pay all the way through as well. Mm-hmm. And then I think there's like quick time money as well and the dash. Yep, and hard luck as well too. Money there. And like it pays so good. Like my through the through the second through tenth.
0: Yeah, That's, it's it's everything. great to see.
1: They did everything I want to do in a purse. They did it all.
0: Yeah, exactly, right? They really took care of the drivers with this one, and uh, I I think it's going to be a really uh, intense show for all the money uh, in honor of one of the greats of Maryville Speedway and Driving Ivan.
1: we should try to get James Little on to talk about it. I think we're going to do that.
0: Yeah, we can definitely uh, see see if we can track down James to talk a little bit about this, especially as the uh, date and the schedule approaches. Speaking of that schedule, there are some... uh, you know, some standard nights. You know, Nostalgia Night returns June 15th uh, with the Wall of Fame inductions. The 50-lap Jerry Winger Memorial going to be on that night. The Al Willard Memorial Dirt Car Sportsman event that night. Um, We've got the Big Bike Giveaway in, in early May. Of course, the schedule kicks off with the Spring Sizzler and, uh, featuring the SOS. You're going to be at that one. It's on April 20th. 358 mods, Hoosier Stocks, four cylinders. Good way to start the season uh, as well. The third annual Canadian Grand Nationals returning as well, 73 lap 358 modified uh, event and sportsman on the card for that, plus it'll be a $1,000 draw for fan and candies as well for kids, and just overall it's looking like a really good schedule, and I think one of the things that's most exciting is by my count four 360 events at uh, Merrittville this year, including the Gary Cunningham Memorial
1: uh, yeah that's what See, when the Action Sprint Tour folded, that's what I was hoping that we'd pick up one of their dates at least. And uh, that happened. So, yeah, four times in Mariville, which is uh, music to my ears because just 20 minutes down the road, 25 minutes down the road for me. And uh, that's the one thing about the COVID year. Like, everything sucked about that year. But racing in Maryville only was kind of like just having that tw- racing at a place 25 minutes away from home all the time was pretty sweet. So being able to go there four times this year is awesome. And one of them, yeah, Gary Cunningham Memorial again. And uh, I think Peter's already saying Tammy Ten chipped in, going to make it three thousand to win, three hundred to start, and then I am going to try to raise some and get that bumped up as well.
0: Yeah, looking forward to it. So if you uh, if you got any ideas about how to bump up that purse for the Gary Cunningham Memorial, and you are listening and you want to help out, uh, get a hold of Travis on uh, social media, or uh, you know maybe I don't know, call social him at BRP. I don't know. Place. Yeah, I was gonna say you social can find media. him on Instagram, Twitter, all that sort of stuff. Yeah, you a message the That's show and we'll help you out. Business. Yeah, that is true. You are uh, you are a, a wizard with the phone. You don't like to admit, you don't like to post a ton, but you get a lot of work done on the on the phone. That's mm-hmm.
1: so how you line up every guest.
0: Yeah, it's uh, I don't know what I'd do without you. It's the best part of having a partner like you in this uh, this podcast. You bring all the good guests, and we've got one later on oh. coming up. you have already talked about Ryan Hunsinger coming up. Um, I wanted the to Gunslinger. talk about speaking of sprint car racing. Uh, we we should get into this high limit fan fest thing because there's two aspects to this press release that came out uh, a couple days ago now on February 5th about the fan fest and driver playlist. Um, I'll start with the driver playlist thing here, Travis, and then maybe I'll read some of the details of the fan fest and get your reaction because as the music DJ jockey guy on the radio, I think it's kind of a cool thing the fact that we're gonna get to hear some of our favorite. Sprint car drivers and the drivers on the tour of the high limit series. uh, Here's some of their music at each and every date. Each driver is going to get a chance to uh, share their personalities a little bit with uh, music hand selected by them on race nights. So for example, uh, the season opener, Shark Racing's Jacob Allen is going to be DJing that one. So he's going to have a playlist of songs that you're going to hear over the loudspeaker throughout the night. Featuring Zeppelin, which I'm here for, Morgan Wallen, Machine Gun Kelly, Lenny Kravitz, cool pick, Zach Bryan, uh, Casey Kane already lined up to be the second uh, uh, second DJ of the year at the Golden Isle Speedway later uh, this month as well. And uh, you're going to be able to keep up with uh, who's dry, who's playlists have what on them, and you can kind of uh, check that out through a link on Spotify, which is included on the uh, High Limit website right now in this press release. So that's that's pretty cool, honestly. I, I like what they're doing. Um, in terms of showing off personalities, because that that's a big thing that I don't think happens enough in major motorsports these days. Um, that's something that you know everybody seemed to agree with. Drive to Survive in the Netflix show, it gave the F1 guys a chance to show their personalities. You know, There's a demand for that in NASCAR, and there should be a demand for that from High Limit, World of Outlaws, Super Dirt Car Series, all those guys. I think the the more you can get your drivers to have some star power and have a way of resonating with fans, I think is a good thing. Uh, Another thing they're trying to do is creating a fan fest where the drivers are going to be taking a 20 to 30 minute time slot carved out of the program prior to opening ceremonies, uh, it's going to be following qualifying and prior to heat races is what we're seeing. The pit area will be open and fans are going to be able to get up close and personal, watch the cars and teams work, and also maybe get a chance to get an autograph, say hi, have a conversation with their favorite drivers from their favorite teams. That'd be kind of cool. Um, during the Fan Fest here, it says uh, drivers are going uh, to be at their cars or signing autographs and selling merchandise at t-shirt trailers. Um, and Chase Rodman uh, is going to be addressing the flow audience at home as well. Tony Laporta and Alex Brown are going to be in the grandstands hosting games, offering prizes. So they really have thought of kind of every single angle of giving back to the fans. It's just adding 20 to 30 minutes to the show. Is that the right play?
1: Maybe there's there's, like for track prep and stuff, they're trying to cover that. Maybe it's going to happen a lot to try not to take rubber on some tracks. They're maybe notoriously take rubber. But like to me, like I'm just letting fans know, like for most times, like in between qualifying and the heat race, that's serious business time. And most drivers ain't really going to be wanting to be all chit chatty right then. They're trying to figure out what they got to do between the qualifying and the heat and what the track's going to do and what they got to do to get out there and heat because they ain't that's like their job, especially all those professionals. Like that's what they're there to do. That's how they eat. That's their punch clock. So I think the time is a little bit off on that. Uh, I saw a lot of drivers on Twitter kind of saying the same thing. And I saw one suggest like, why don't, it sucks that we can't go back to having the premier division, like the outlaws or high limit go last. So that way the fan, you can open up the gates right away and the fans can run over there and see them tearing down the cars. Cause then if a guy had a good run, he might, be in a little bit better mood to sign an autograph. And if you had a bad run, maybe that's the guy to ignore. But anyway, after the races, they're going to be more. And that's the, in my, that's the better time to see that After this stuff just happened, you just watch the whole story play out and you want to run over and see what happened. That's how I grew up doing it. Last race would okay. be the best race. And they open up the pits and you run over there and get your autographs. That does not happen anymore. very much. It does at Maribel well and stuff in local tracks, but on like the touring stuff. No way. They load up and leave quick as possible.
0: Yeah. And, you know, I kind of look at this and I almost wonder if, you know, I I was a big Monster Trucks, Monster Jam fan as a as a kid, still am, even though they don't really come around to Toronto anymore. But, um, you know, Monster Jam always had those pit parties where it was like, you know, an hour before showtime or maybe two hours before the showtime, all the trucks would be rolled out onto the track. And that's when you could go up close and personal, get photos, get autographs, all that sort of stuff. Why couldn't you do the same thing and have, you know, the cars rolled right out of the trailer, right onto the racetrack and then do like a pit area autograph sort of thing right then and there on the racetrack. And even, you know what, if you really want to be capitalist about it, you can sell like a VIP ticket that gets you in two hours before showtime to see all that. And I'm sure, you know what, fans would probably spend the money, uh, especially if they care about this series as much as it seems they do. And the other thing, too, is you can still do, you know, you can still have Chase Rodman on Flow Racing and Talking. You can still have Tony Laporta and Alex Brown up in the grandstands entertaining the crowd that's on the actual or at the actual track. Like there's ways you can do all that sort of stuff, especially if it's just about covering uh, track prep time or anything like you say. So uh, I, don't, I don't I don't necessarily think the, this is the guessing. perfect move. Yeah, I don't know if it's like the perfect move or, or what, but I appreciate the uniqueness of what uh, they're trying to do. Um, you know, like I'm reading this statement here from the uh, chief marketing and events officer at High Limit, and she says, uh, you know, FanFest gives fans the options of, on how to spend the purposeful break in the evening. Uh, they look forward to offering it at more tracks and watching it evolve as the season continues. So right now, the plan isn't to do it at every single track, but it is going to be at the Battle of the Bay uh at uh, east bay raceway park which uh the those events are kind of
1: work because you can it's got to be at like tracks where it's an easy access from the grandstands to the pits Mm kind of like a weedsport. i don't know how it is i haven't been there since the updated but it used to be real easy from the grandstands was a gate but yeah i don't know before the night and after is better for me but i just think of like season try to involve the fans
0: yeah, and I just think of even, like, autograph night at Merrittville. Like, we get all the race cars onto the racetrack, people come down of the grandstands. But even trying to clear all the people back on, out to their, you know, um, back to their grandstand seat, all that sort of stuff, it, it's not necessarily a headache, but it is still something that you kind of have to work past. So, for me, like, I I think... I don't know. I, I just think there's a way that you can do this that's a little bit smoother in the night. I'm hoping it, I'm glad they didn't just commit to doing it at every single event. And I'm sure it's going to be something that maybe they can evolve and learn and improve upon throughout the year. Again, I appreciate any racing series trying to market its stars and try to, um, you know, make sure there's a fan driver connection. But uh, I, I don't know. I just think there's going to be a better way that you can pull this off. I'm, we'll see how the first one goes. Um, as far as that, I suggest
1: fans uh, just buy a pit pass and then they can do that all night.
0: <laughs> yeah, that's kind of true. Like I've done that the last couple times for the, the Northern nationals and the, the Pinties race or whatever we're calling NASCAR Canada race now at Osh weekend, and stayed on that side. And the view has been great. The racing action has been great. And between races, I can just jump back and see who's rolling out on the grid and all that sort of stuff. I don't know. That's, it's, it's kind of cool. So, um,
1: Ashwikin set up perfect for about... it because you can watch and then run back. Click, yes, and then they see are. The cars after. Yeah,
0: yeah, they have a great grandstand on that side. They have, you know, uh, a, a nice little concession stand right there as well, too. So it's not even like, oh, I'm st- stranded without snacks or a drink or anything like that. Like can really, yeah. they really thought about that sort of stuff uh, as well. Um, as far as, uh, well, speaking of Ashwikin, uh Something that GSR is pretty heavily involved with is the uh, Bill Rose car, which also yeah. has a cool sponsorship from Waltrip Brewing as well that you wanted to talk about.
1: Yeah, I just thought that was the coolest stuff ever because i I've mentioned Bill Rose the last a few podcasts recently, just talking about how he's like living the dream. Like he might not have the best results, but he's out there. He's an outlaw contracted driver, so he gets the show up money just to roll in the gate. Like to me, it, I don't know, looks like a pretty good way to. And he's always had. uh no sponsorship and stuff. And he's been racing forever. That's what people, it's like, he's not some plug who just decided to go racing. Like he's been doing it forever. But uh, yes, yeah, I love seeing uh, the guys that need it, find some funding. And then Michael Walter Brewer Company and Glenn Stiers, uh went on board with Bill Rose. And the last year, Tim Cading ran his car when he was hurt a little bit. And that car is pretty fast when you drive it a little, when you drive it a little hard. Like Bill is an older dude. Like he's getting up in age.
2: Mm-hmm. But like,
1: that's his job. He just, people are just jealous. That's literally his job because he has all that stuff, it's already all paid for, I'm sure, other than the rebuilds and stuff, and, hey, just toasting around, and you can make pretty decent money, like, if you're on the outlaw contracted tour, and then this year, especially for a guy like him, because the fields are going to be split a lot more, and the outlaws go to a lot more places where it's like, yeah, outlaws go to a lot of places where there's only 30 cars show up, so then, he has an opportunity to make double money because then you get your start money and you show up money, platinum money. So I love yeah, Bill Rose. Go exactly. Bill Rose. Good yeah, job, it's going to be cool. And Michael something Alcher. we can
0: watch. Something yeah. we can watch, something to cheer for. Uh, somebody that we probably should talk about because people love to watch and cheer about. Cheer on this guy. Uh, we know that Matt Williamson is going to be headed to Land of Legends uh, for 2024.
1: Yeah, he just announced that today. We're recording Wednesday. we uh, recording this part Wednesday. But, uh, yeah, he tried that once before, I think mid-2010s, 2015-ish. And I can't remember if he got a win or not. If he did, it was just one. But uh, it, that's, he would admit that season didn't go the way he thought and uh, came back to Merrittville for a while. But uh, this time I think he's definitely, this is before he blew up in the big block world that he went and tried that with stuff. That's like before he got the Buzz Chew ride and all that. That's when he was still trying to do it all with the SW 6. And yeah, just, he's way more equipped to do it now. And I wouldn't be shocked if he wins the championship. Although I'm not sure if was all running there. Rudolph will be there for sure. So Rudolph versus Williamson every week. Friday. Yeah. Saturday. That's going to be fun.
0: It. That's going to be yep. a great rivalry rivalry to watch going forward. And, uh, there already has uh, been their
1: whole lives. I love it.
0: Yeah, exactly. Right. So, um, speaking of, you mentioned the SNW service center, number six, uh, Beautiful looking new ride for the SNW Service Center number six. If you want to see it, uh, it's up on Matt Williamson's uh, racing page on Facebook. Uh, he posted a photograph of it down at uh, down at All Tech as uh, he is going to be down there running with the modifieds. World of Outlaws coming up. They're going to be at Volusia this weekend. Um, any thoughts? Any predictions? What are you? What are we feeling?
1: Oh, Volusia, there's a ton of cars. So who's usually fast there? Gravel. Bet you Gravel gets a win, for sure. Mm-hmm. Um, Macedo probably gets one. And then there's probably one that you're like, oh, maybe a surprise. And then Alltech, it's going to be the Matt Williamson-Stewart-Friesen match Shepard, And Danny Varon's going to be fast. Now that he's in the Brett Day, who owns the series, in the Brett Day Speed Shop, he's in the Brett Day 01. Watch that card to be suspiciously fast. My prediction. <laughs> suspiciously.
0: Suspiciously fast, eh? Interesting. I could All be right, wrong. He
1: to... But he was quick time last night already by two tenths in the two tenths he had on the field in the first session, which would have been the most hammered down dino session, practice session. So, interesting. I was suspiciously fast almost. Two tenths, point two That's a lot in racing. That's a mile. That's tons in racing. Yeah, Usually the world of outlaws these days in qualifying, like point two is the difference between first and like 22nd. And last night it was first. He was that much faster than like Shepard in second. So, let's see what they're at tonight. I don't have that one. I'm watching the Olas right now as they play, but I don't have the mods going yet.
0: Oh, yeah, the mods. I think all... are coming up a little bit later. We're not even to seven o'clock yet, but I think they're uh, they're up on Flow Racing, if I'm not mistaken tonight. So, yes, sir. Uh, you can watch that uh, throughout the weekend and catch up on it on Flow and all that sort of stuff. And uh, you know what? We'll leave uh, this part of the podcast. Uh, we'll leave it there because we've got a guest to get to. Uh, I can't wait to have the Gunslinger Ryan hunsinger on the southern ontario dirt show podcast hey do you like what you're hearing want to support the southern ontario dirt show and help us expand our coverage across the province and western new york well your ad could be playing right here got a brand or business that deserves more attention email us southern ontario dirt show at gmail.com to become a sponsor of the podcast and now let's get back to the show and joining us on this edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast, we've got the gunslinger, Ryan Hunsinger. Ryan, how's it going? Welcome to the show. Hey, guys, it's
2: going well. Thank you very much. How are you guys?
0: Good, man. It's good to have you. The offseason is quickly uh, going away, but, um, you know, I'm sure... I'm sure you kind of wish the off season would last a little bit longer considering you uh, are coming off a championship car owner season. So talk to us about what an amazing year 2023 was with uh, Matt Billings as your driver.
2: Yeah, it was a great year. We we had a wreck uh, late 2022 and starting out last year, the car just was not right. And we just worked at it, worked at it, worked at it and just got better and better all year. And uh, yeah, it was a great year Um, in terms of the off season. You're absolutely right, but I think every racer is the same. Uh, in September, October, it seems like you have like ten years between races, and so you kind of wait everything to everything waits till the last minute. But we're we've been pl- plugging along, plugging away, and uh, getting there. But yeah, you're right. It you could always use more time in the off season.
1: Okay, right. We'll get to other parts of your career in a bit, but let's go from like transitioning from driver, from like that mindset to let's pick Matt Billings as our driver. Give us that story.
2: Yeah, it was the last couple of years that I drove. I just, I just really wasn't feeling it anymore. I, I haven't trouble seeing and um, I got burned really bad in 2014. And I just don't think that my mindset was the same after that in terms of driving. And, um, I, I was driving the 43 car and then I, I wanted to race less. And so I got my own car in 2019 and I, I raced less and I just wasn't, I just wasn't having the the fun that I used to have. And I kind of got to the point where I was like, why am I doing this anymore? Like I have really good equipment and, um, it was just kind of like a, it was on a whim. I had met Matt in Brockville and, uh, in the summertime in 2021, I guess it was. And we were at the fall nationals. And I just decided at the end. So it was a Friday, Friday, Saturday night show. And at the end of the Friday night show, I was just like, I don't want to do this. I want to put Matt in the car. And so I got a hold of him. And, uh, so he drove the car one race in 2021. And then, um, yeah, so he's driven, driven the car, um, 2021, 2022 and 2023. So three full seasons.
1: So then going right off that, I want you to talk about like how much fun you had on the action sprint tour and how like you preferred that kind of like travel around style versus like the every week thing. And then like what it felt like to take that away when the action sprint tour went away, give us all that.
2: Yeah. Um, so I think, 20 since 2017 or 2018 even my last two or three years as a driver i just ran the action sprint tour and then kind of just we would pick and choose and just run here and there um weekly racing is just it's fun and uh it's just not my thing anymore and so um the action tour is really good for that it was a great series and you could run um it, it's varied over the years, but you could run anywhere from 12 to 15 races, which is a pretty, pretty decent schedule. It's still enough to kind of get your fix, but um, it's not like the every week grind kind of thing. And so we really like that. 2022, we just did a pick and choose kind of thing. Um, 2021, we, we um, actually, the season was short shortened because of COVID. So we decided to run for the championship of Brockville, which we won and then um excuse me um 2023 we just did like a pick and choose thing we didn't run the full action tour or i'm sorry 2022 and then for last year we looked at the tour and we the way they had it broken up into the east and west it made sense logistically it's a bit of a challenge because um, uh, my crew chief jeff lives near ashwigan speedway i live in the middle of the gta or the eastern part of the gta and matt lives in brockville so logistically it's a bit of a challenge Um, but we looked at the schedule. We thought, okay, we could, we could do it. And, um, it was a great year in terms of the tour ending. It's, it's kind of a shame, but I understand how those things go. I mean, Clinton put a lot of work into it and, um, I don't think, I don't think maybe people appreciate how much work gets put into something like that until, until it's not around. So, um, he put a lot of work into it and it was a great tour but I mean we lost South Buxton and um, Maribel wasn't happy with the car con I guess and so that only left like a couple tracks maybe on the west side and then the east the east end is kind of um, growing their program and so I, I completely get it but it's it's a shame for us because we really really liked the uh, we really really liked running that tour it was like the perfect amount of races.
0: So with that yeah. gone for 2024, what, um, what kind of program are you looking at putting together for this season? Uh, is Matt back in the car? Do you have anywhere picked out in terms of firm plans yet?
2: Yes, Matt is definitely back in the car. There's nobody else that I could think of that I'd rather have driving my race car. Um, but yeah, we're, um, we're going to just do the pick and choose thing. we, it was one of my bucket list things to try to qualify a crate car for a world outlaw race so we did that we tried in 2022 and we missed it by one spot so we're th- last year we didn't we weren't able to do it because we were busy with the action tour so we might we're kind of kicking that idea around maybe trying weed sport and then we're going to do <clears throat> i don't know we'll probably do the same amount of races it's just not going to be like a um it's just not going to be a, a set tour. it will be like the specials at Brighton, the specials um, at Brockville and the specials at Oshwegan and both the same amount of races.
0: We got to have lots of confidence. I would assume in coming off a of championship season, especially maybe, you know, put your eyes on the prize, like the Northern crate nationals at Oshwegan. You mentioned some of the special events and uh, you know, how much do you feel like that tr- championship can can translate when you guys go to those big events? Uh, and do you feel like you have a target on your back as maybe like the car to beat now, especially with uh, it seems like Mike Bowman's out of the crate class. It's going to be Brent Begalo running that 71. So a little driver change up might, uh, might affect somebody who is your main rival for the championship last year and who's going to be a threat at some of those special events locally.
2: Yeah, there's always guys that, that step up, right? Like um, when Jacob stopped running, Mike kind of stepped it up and dominated. And then he dominated our Schwiegen this year. We had a good year on the action tour, but there's always guys that are working hard and stepping up. Um, I don't know Brent, but I followed him. And I think he's going to do a really good job in that car. It's a really good car and they have a good crew and they know what they're doing. And so I think, I think for sure, right out of the box, he's going to be a threat. Um, the, like the action tour was really cool because you would get like the, the best guys from, from Brockville weekly and the best guys from a weekly. And like, then there's Can-Am like, um, there's some really, really good, good runners at Can-Am. And so with, with the action tour gone and they're having some, some special events like around the province, I I don't know. I mean, there's a lot of guys. I think the crate division is so competitive with everybody being so close on horsepower. Um, like I said, I think Brent's going to be fast in Mike's car. And there's some guys at are Schwiegen that are, that are fast. And then there's always guys that are going to step it up. Um, in terms of having a target on our back, I'm not sure if we have a target on our back We're just the way we look at it, the way Matt and I look at it, like Matt, Jeff and I, we, we're just always trying to get better, like always trying to get better and always trying to get better. And that's, that served us really well the last, um, the last few seasons. And so we're going to just keep continuing to do that. We're just going to try to do our talking on the racetrack and just, I don't know if there's a target on our back, there's a target on our back, but I'm not going to worry about that too much.
1: All right, enough car owner crap. <laughs> so let's give us the Ryan Singer driver story. Like let's start all the way back at Cayuga speedway, your Bob Slack's cousin. It's your mom and his dad or brother sister, right? Yes. Yeah. So. Yeah. So okay, start us all the way back there and give us. Don't start the sprint car. Give us pre sprint car first. Oh yeah, there's a lot of. St- and then yeah. we'll go to. Sprint <laughs> there's car. a
2: lot of stuff before sprint cars. Um, yeah. So we. So growing up.
1: Exactly. So give us
2: that first. So my mom was Nancy, which is um, um, Bob's dad, Randy's sister, and so yeah like hanging out at the race growing up at the racetrack we were out there like we all all had all kinds of different jobs out there in the summer and um it was a pretty cool experience and I think Bobby would probably tell you the same thing you when you're a kid there's so many things that you don't have perspective on and you don't understand but like we were just so lucky to be able to do that stuff and you don't realize it when you're a kid like you don't realize that not everybody has those experiences and like like my Boy Scout troop, we used to go and camp out there, and it's it was just such a such a cool um, childhood. Like, just there's so many memories and stories. Like, I mean, I could go on and on and on, but we spent so much time out there. There's a funny story about Bobby and I. Uh, my grandpa Sock was pretty strict. He's an awesome dude, but um, you didn't want to. He he was a no BS kind of guy, so there was the two cleanup trucks and Bobby and I used to always screw around with the cleanup trucks when we were by ourselves. So there's one time he dropped us off there. And I think he dropped us off to cut the grass or something. So we let like five minutes go by and we thought he was gone. And so we, we decided we were going to race around the campground lanes. There was, um, it was like a D shaped kind of like Flemington. There was like a D shaped, the roads formed like a D shaped racetrack. So we started racing. One was an old Ford. One was an old Chevy and we were racing the cleanup trucks um around the campground we thought we were really smart because grandpa was long gone well he was got a few minutes up the road and saw like a big cloud of dust and we were 11 or 12 or 13 and we were not smart enough to realize we should have probably waited 10 minutes till he was long gone so he came back and <clears throat> he wasn't super impressed but i mean i could go on, and on for hours it's just just such a cool thing and there's so many iconic drivers like the asa series back then like not only just growing up there, like um, being part of the family, but just getting to see all the ASA drivers, and um, there was like the Bush North races there, and the dirt modified on pavement series, and it was pretty cool, man. It was <clears throat> it was a pretty cool childhood. So um, I had started racing go karts when I was maybe eight or nine, nine or ten so i raced go-karts for a few years and i really wanted to race race cars but i had no money um my family didn't think it was the smartest thing and i mean at the time i was like oh i i thought it was it seemed pretty smart to me seemed reasonable to me as a child but in hindsight they were they were right that it wasn't the smartest thing to uh to focus on that instead of focusing on my life but anyway so i had no money and so then they announced um that they were going to start running on the small track on Thursday night. So I was like, that's perfect for me. I, I I always, I always get my ages mixed up, but I want to say I was probably 17. So I got my neighbor had um, not my neighbor, but a a house down the road had this old Chevette for sale for $50. So I bought this old Chevette and I didn't really know how to weld, but I, I kind of hacked together a roll cage and, So I started racing the mini stock on the small track, but that only, that was Thursday nights that only lasted for, I don't know, a few weeks. And then I believe that's when grandpa sold the speedway. So I won, I can't remember how many races, but I won some mini stock races. And then from there, um, from there I got, I got an opportunity. So a guy had seen me race and asked me if I'd be interested in running, um, some pavement stuff, some enduro cars. So enduro cars for people that are not familiar, like it's pretty crazy, but it was really, it was a lot more popular back in the day. They, they're more or less like street stocks and they'd put like a Delaware. Sometimes there'd be, I don't know, 150, 200 cars on the track at once. Flambro had some. So I raced a bunch, I raced some of those. I won, I won a bunch of those. I'm not sure how many, but, um, and I'd always kind of really, really liked dirt. And then that, when I moved into, to racing the, the enduro cars, we also raced like some thunder car races and street stock races. I won Oktoberfest at Flamborough. Um, I guess I would have been probably 19. So I was just a young kid and I just, I really, really, really enjoyed it, but I, there was a couple situations. There was a situation where I was leading a race that was 10,000 to win. It was the biggest race of the year. <clears throat> and there was a situation with a few laps to go where a lapped car got kind of sideways. And I just kind of touched the lap car. And then they black flagged me for rough driving. There was a lot of politics mm-hmm. and bullshit that I wasn't a big fan of. So, I mean, the flagman and the guy that won were it was just not a good situation. I mean, we got second, got $5,000, which is cool. Mm-hmm. But then there was another situation at Delaware where I won the race. And then after the race, they said, oh, you were speeding on pit road on your pit stop. And it was just kind of, there was just some bullshit that I, I kind of get it now looking back like I was a young punk kid. and But there was just some situations that I wasn't really super happy with some of the drivers were not super nice to me either, but I mean, like the, like guys, like the top guys, like Steve Buck was always so good to me. And like, there were some guys that were really good to me too. It's just, I mean, I, I kind of got a bad vibe and I was just a little bit pissed about the payment situation. So I had always wanted to race dirt. So there was a division back in the day. So the way I got um, interested in dirt is I used to, take the Kuga Speedway pace car when I was in high school and I'd go to like Ransomville and Merrillville and Humberstone and I really fell in love with dirt and I would always like the world outlaws and stuff. So there was a division back in the day they raced um, Merrillville and Humberstone and then Ashwegan when it opened and it's called Modstock. So I think the idea was like an IMCA modified but a dirt modified so that it was like a dirt modified like you would take an old chassis and then there's like a claimer rule And so the cars were pretty cheap. The division was, it was a little bit of a weird one, but as it evolved, there was a lot of different weird types of race cars in there. But anyways, I bought a car to run dirt and I was still racing pavement. But um, so that would have been 1996. And I was pretty successful in that car. And I, I can't remember how many races we won in 1996, but like, the, the funny thing I think about is like, I remember the first night at and I was so nervous, so nervous the whole day. And then I just, I forget where I started, but I kept passing cars and I was like, the caution's got to be out. I kept looking at the light and I was looking at the flagman and I was like, I don't know what's going on. And so I won the first ever race on dirt that I ran in that car. um, And we won, I don't know, I think it was maybe 10 features or I, I really, I honestly can't remember. I don't have good records of that stuff, but was pretty successful in that car. And then, um, the next year I got a dirt sportsman and man, that was a rude awakening. Cause we, like I was just a young kid and I had no money and the stuff was junk and the motors were blowing up all the time. And anyways, I raced those cars for, I raced those cars for two or three years, I guess. And then I won a couple features. Um, To put in perspective, like how little money I had, like the first sportsman feature I ever won, it's one of my favorite races of all time. Tammy Willard and I were side by side the whole race, and I ended up winning. But the tire I used, I it was a it was pretty much a brand new right rear tire, but someone had cut the sidewall on it. So we took it and fixed it with sewing um, fishing fishing line, and then ran a tube in it like I could not even afford to pay attention and I had no business having a race car but that was the thing that I wanted to do it was not very not a very smart life decision but looking back man we had some fun and some crazy times um so yeah so I raced the sportsman for two or three years I guess and and then I wanted to get a sprint car and um got a sprint car in 2001 I raced a few times but the engine blew up and then it was just frustrating because I was just like working like crazy. I had a little fab fab shop on the side. I was building some pit carts for like the cast car guys and some dirt modified bodies. And, and then I had my job and I just felt like I was working like 20 hours a day and I saved so much money. And then the, when my sprint car engine blew, that was 2001. I I think the first time I raced with the SOS, I think I finished fourth and then I had some good finishes, but the, the motor broke. And so I sold everything and took a break for a few years after that. That was 2001. And then. You know
1: anything, yeah. I think John. Yeah. Cause I want to give now give us a story of like uh, being miles Hill first driver first driver, of the 77 X.
2: Yeah. So that was, that was a weird one. I, I took a few years off. Um I crewed for Glenn Styres. Um and there's like a vintage modified. There's this um this cool old guy from Michigan had this vintage modified and I would run it every once in a while. Like I would just I mean I really still wanted to race, but I just it just wasn't really in the cards and I'd kinda of given up on it. And then so so my job for work I was um like in an engineering role at work and I was wearing like a shirt and tie and I was just kind of going crazy and I wanted to work on race cars. So I call up Steve Moulton and I went and started giving those guys a hand and gave them a hand throughout the winter. And I met miles. Um, And so he had had a fella that was going to drive the sprint car. And I mean, I wasn't, I wasn't, trying to get into that car or anything like I was pretty happy with just working on working on stuff but anyways something worked out or something didn't work out and like the first practice night or the first race of the year they asked me if I wanted to drive it so I said of course for sure I want to drive it so the first race so that was miles first ever race car I mean everybody knows hills is like a massive team but at that time I remember the first race, it was an open trailer and like a pickup or an escalator or something. So it was like an open trailer. It was a brand new, it was really, really good stuff. Like it was a new car and a new Gertie engine. But so the first night I remember I finished, I couldn't see my visor was fogging up and I hadn't raced for a while. I think we finished like seventh or eighth. And then the second night, excuse me, the second night probably should have won but the front wing collapsed. And I finished third and then I won the third night in it. And, and, uh, yeah, that first year, that first year was a really good year. So I had so, the so first a lot of success ran, right off the bat. What's that? Sorry.
0: So a lot of success, kind of right off the bat, with that entry for Hills Racing.
2: Yeah, it was kind of like a dream come true because, like, all the guys that are like low buck guys or everybody always dreams about having top equipment, and so it was very it was validating to myself because. I I always had confidence in myself. I mean, I'd won, I'd probably won 20 or 30 features maybe by then, like, but it's like lower divisions. And then, like I said, when I got my own sprint car, I, I just, I just couldn't afford to do it. Right. My own 360. And so Mm. I, like I was saying, like, it's always kind of in the back of your mind, like if you had this situation and this equipment, and so it was really good. Like the first year we won four races Won the Labor Day Classic at Brighton. I think two of them were on last lap passes. Um, yeah, so it was it was a good first. Year. It was the that was two thousand and eight, I think. I think it would have been.
1: Yeah. Yep. Yeah, it was because I started the next year in oh8 for sure. Yeah.
2: yeah so I, I drove for him for a couple years. Um, two thousand nine, we won like three races. Two thousand and nine at the Nationals the Canadian nationals. Um, I don't, I've never seen it on video and I don't remember exactly what happened, but I got into the wall and then I don't know if I was stopped, but I got hit from behind and I had like tire marks on my helmet and I, Oof. I, it was, it was a rough one, rough one. Like I'd had a lot of concussions before then. Um, it was a rough one and I couldn't see properly for, for a couple years and so i'd taken a couple years off um and again i pretty much given up on racing like and then i just kind of got the itch and i i so i guess 2010 and 11 i didn't race and then 2012 um a guy called me about running a payment car um one of those pro 4 f4 modified things so i ran that car And I just, you know, I wanted to get back in the seat and just see how I could do. So that was like a one-off at Oktoberfest. And I won it. And again, I was, I just, I just couldn't believe that. I mean, I kind of got lucky on the redraw. Um, I started on the pole, but I won the race. and, And once, once you get back in victory lane, then it was like, then I really, really, really wanted to get back into racing more. So Excuse me, 20, um, 2013, I ran some races. Jake Langois from Quebec, I drove some races for him. And we, it was a low buck effort. But, man, we had a lot of fun. And, I mean, the results, having not been in a sprint car for a couple years, like, the guys that we were passing, it was amazing. Like, it was such a – it was a really, really, really good time I had driving his car. And so then in 2014, the crate division started, and I went back to Hills in 2014 when the crate division started and um, won the championship at Auschwitz in the first year there.
0: So with the crate car, what was the biggest difference that you felt from the, uh, from the driver's perspective? And obviously it didn't take you long to adjust to uh, the crate style of racing and how that car would drive compared to the 360.
2: Uh, there, when it's slick, there's not, I mean, I, I, I think maybe I had the, the best way to probably explain it is when like a four time guy goes and runs a a 360, right? Like everything just slows down and the cars are slow, but they're not, they're not slow, slow. Like when it's slick, the the lap times are the same. It's just a different, it's more of like um it's like a, like a two-stroke go-kart versus a four-stroke, like a four-stroke go-kart, you just have to be really smooth and you have to be smooth with your inputs on the steering and the the throttle and, and the brake, everything. Like you just have to try to keep it smooth and not its momentum, right?
0: Mm-hmm. Momentum racing.
2: <clears throat> yeah, because you don't have a lot of horsepower. But uh, yeah, the that was, yeah, 2014 was the, the first year. And I, I don't know, like... I loved it because I raced a lot of t- I raced for a long time with no money and so the reason I've always been such a proponent of the crate division is because because of like a normal guy can do it like so that's I mean I had I, I mean like I probably could have run some other races like maybe 360 or whatever but I was just happy in in the crate division so I ran that 2014, 15, 16, 17, 18. Yeah. I ran, I don't know, whatever that is five, six years. Um, and like I said, like I'm, I don't know, everybody has an opinion on it, but to me, like what I love about it is like, I'm just a normal dude, right? I'm not a rich guy and I can own a race car. And I mean like anybody that thinks they're going to make money racing is, (laughs) is either really naive or really dumb or both but so you're not going to make money with any race car obviously but like you can i just i just like it because everybody has the same horsepower number one and so i think like a lower buck guy maybe in a 360 i think there's a lot of psychological like you're you're beat before you get to the racetrack because you're like these guys have better stuff and they have a parker engine and they have this and that and there's a lot like racing's a lot psychological And to me, the crate division, it just, it levels everything out and evens everything out. And that's, like I said, that's why I really like it. And I think, I think maybe, again, everyone has an opinion everyone's entitled to their opinion, but some people look at it like, like a springboard or like a starter division. But I think it's kind of turning into more of like a destination division, right? Like, and there's nothing wrong with that. Like, I think it's a great division and there's some great paying races. Um, You look at like Brockville last year, the fields, Brockville, like Lee Latisori races at Brockville every week. And he's won the SOS championship twice. Like he's, he's a wheel man. And then like, um, yeah, there's just a a bunch of them. Like there's a bunch of guys with a whole bunch of experience like Bowman and, and Matt, my driver, like there's a bunch of guys with a lot of experience. And then there's a mix it's like anything else, but. I just can't say enough about the division because I wasn't sure about being a car owner. Like, I mean, sometimes I think, I think what I wonder, and I, I don't know how to put this, but I w I wondered if I was unselfish enough to do it. You know what I mean? Because like, there's so much work involved and then as a driver, I'm the one that gets to drive the race car. Right. So I wasn't sure how I would like it, but honestly, like I like it far more than I liked the last couple years of driving because I don't know what, I don't know what happened to me. Like I used to be completely nuts, but as I got older, I kind of mellowed and I got to where, like I said, I, I can't see like I used to be able to. And, and I was scared shitless. There was times where I was driving a crate car and scared shitless. And I'm like, I don't know what happened. Like I guess everybody has to grow up eventually and I'm not sure what happened, but I just got to where I just was, was not interested in driving a race car anymore. And if you talk to me like six, seven years ago, that'd be the furthest. The I would never say something like that, like 10 years ago, 20 years ago, that you would never hear something like that come out of my mouth. But I mean, I'm happy to say it. Like I absolutely love being a car owner and we've got such a good little team. Um, not, like a, not like a super high dollar team. And we're able to compete with everybody. And that's, like, I just love the crate division.
1: I know, but I still think you should find a cheap 360 to buy and I'll rebuild it. And then you guys can win races in that too. (laughs) It's doable. You don't need the $60,000 like everybody thinks you do. I know you don't. Especially when you got a driver like Matt Billings. I know. Especially when you got a driver like Matt Billings.
2: I, I agree 110%. And I've thought about it. I've thought about it and then I, I get thinking about it a little bit and then I'm like, no, 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 that's, that's not that smart, but <laughs> I mean, that's not that smart financially to have two race cars, but yeah, or yeah, I'd love to, for sure. We've talked about it. Matt and I have talked about it. Like for sure. We, we think we can be competitive and we have a good slick track program. And I I I compl- I a hundred percent agree with you. And that goes, that goes back to my point about, Or the the what I told you about like when we went and tried to make the feature with the World Outlaw Race like in the B Main that night once it got slick the last lap of the B Main we were the second fastest car on the track and there was thirteen or fourteen cars and we passed we passed like a couple four tens we passed some three sixties and that's what that's what um, people don't realize about dirt racing is when the track gets slick like that is the great equalizer and you don't need the big I think. Wouldn't you say, Travis, like some of like some of these heavy hitter motors like at a little track like Brighton, like it it would hurt you more than anything else. I feel like sometimes.
1: I think you're right. And like, OK, so like so like I remember back like when you guys were trying to make that outlaw feature with the crate and then like we had a thing on Facebook where we talked back and forth where like you wanted to start running the crate in 360 and I like gave you a little bit of attitude back saying no, if you want to do it move up and build the motor like crate reasons for crates and 360s is for 360s but like honestly for a guy like you who is an engineer who is pretty smart like at that point like you literally could piece together in my opinion like sean donath one time he blew up his 360 engine at the ess opener at black rock and he had nothing to do so the next race was at fulton so donath engines he also owns that with his brother so there was like a 358 with flat top piston short block and the like three fifty eight spec head laying there, and he threw like a one piece Hillborn on it and finished fourth at Fulton, so like I don't see why like, someone like you couldn't learn how to put an engine together pretty cheap and like yeah, I think you mean short tracks like anything about Ash weekend when it's hammered down like I honestly agree like it's not any different. you're literally at no disadvantage
2: I agree, and like I said, I've thought about it I'm I also just spent five minutes talking about how much I love the crate division and how happy I am running it. Like
1: <laughs> I, I just, He's trying to I corrupt look, you don't listen. I know, no but it. your driver also has ESS wins. Your driver has ESS wins.
2: My driver has ESS wins. Just,
1: you guys are almost too good for the crate for division. Like you're almost too good. In my opinion, no, come on. like I've like, you're I'm right a guy right that right thinks right, like right. there's drivers. That's too good.
2: For We're it. not too good for it. Come on.
1: My race car's five years,
2: just, old, and not five years old. The engine's five years old. The race car is five years old. There's
1: a five-year-old sprint car means nothing. Like what's changed since 2000? Like not no, much, no, I really. Know. I agree. But Everyone. I'm I'm saying like
2: <laughs> we're not too good for it. Like you know what? Not too good. I know, but you know it, what I'm saying. I know you're being you guys smart. could
1: move up easily and.
2: But like this, the start of the year, we absolutely yeah. got our hand, our asses handed to us. Um, like at Brockville, Lee just absolutely put a whooping on us, and Bardier, and then we came to Ashwigan and. Mike, oh my gosh, he was he was like in another postal code. It, but, it was it was crazy. And so we just kept working on, it, working on it, working on it and got better and better. And so yeah, we're pretty good, but we're decent. But I, I don't think that we're too good for the, the division. Like I can guarantee I don't spend anywhere near
1: that was the wrong way to put we don't, it.
2: I don't spend you know anywhere right. near what a lot what not a lot of guys, but some guys spend. But you know what? I, I completely understand what you're saying, and I don't disagree. It's just it's just a tough one. Like I'm at the age, I mean, if you would have told me, well, like I told you in 2001, like I pretty much worked, I pretty much worked like non-stops and put all the money that I had into a 360. And then, you know, that's just not, that's just not where my life situation is right now. And so I'd love to do it. I don't know. Maybe it's something we can talk about <laughs> offline, but, i don't know yeah i've kicked the idea back and forth because i absolutely agree like in some ways i almost feel guilty that i can't get a 360 or not guilty is not the right way to put it but i agree like there's nobody that i would rather have driving my race car and he respects my stuff and like him and i have the same philosophies on stuff like you know if you win you don't you can win races without being a dick about it and you don't have to be cocky and he's he's, he's like the perfect guy to drive my race car. We get along good and we get along with the setups and stuff really good. And yeah, like I would like to do a lot of things, but I would also like to not go to work every day. And I'd also like to have a lot of things that I don't have. And sometimes, sometimes I think like racers are always like looking to move up and looking to move up, but I don't think there's anything wrong with just being happy with where we're at. And I think we're pretty happy, but I mean, if you wanna if you want to supply us with an engine, Travis, we could run some three sixty races.
0: We're gonna leave it off there. This one is gonna be a two-parter. We appreciate Ryan Hunsinger. He gave us a lot of time and told a lot of great stories. And uh, this thing is just getting started. So we'll be back with a part two with Ryan Hunsinger on the next edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. Is Travis supplying a three sixty motor? is uh you know are are we seeing that 52 car move up in 2024 plus we have to get to some injury talk and that story about those burns that you briefly heard ryan mention uh up at the beginning of the interview and i would say that ryan probably has one of the most unique answers that we've had for the whole one race car one racetrack for the rest of your life question at the end of the show so I can't wait to get to that. That'll be on next week's edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. We'll also recap all things happening in Florida. And, of course, we want to hear from you guys as well. Reach out on social media. Follow us at S-O-D-S underscore pod, S-O-D-S underscore P-O-D. And, of course, you can also rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. It helps us in a big way to continue to grow the show. And looking forward to part two with Ryan Hunsinger on the next edition of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show podcast. And the Checkered is out on another episode of the Southern Ontario Dirt Show presented by Oshweken Speedway and Bicknell Racing Products. Like what you hear, rate, review, and subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Connect with us on Facebook at Southern Ontario Dirt Show or find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at S-O-D-S underscore pod. Have a question for the show? Email us, southernontariodirtshow at gmail.com. Thanks for supporting local racing in Southern Ontario, and we'll see you at the track.